0: Uh, We're continuing in our our series, our Lenten series on Moses. We're using, of course, the Bible as our uh, primary source of material, but also this book called Moses and the Footsteps of the Reluctant Prophet, a book by Adam Hamilton. I recommend it to you. It's uh, a good read and it um, really ties some historical and geographical pieces together for us. And so I invite you, if that's something that you're interested in, that you're welcome to do this. Frank, this doesn't have the sermon slides on it yet, so I'll just ask you to make that happen, because I know you can. Uh, as we continue in this series, uh, last week we, when we left off, Moses had led the people through the Red Sea, <clears throat> through the Reed Sea, and the Egyptians had come in behind them and it all drowned. And so now Moses is led the people uh, back into the, uh, the desert area, the wilderness area around Mount Sinai. They've traveled for a couple of months to get there. They've set up camp around the base of Mount Sinai. That's where they're going to spend the next 11 months. Moses has already been in this area before. This is where he spent 40 years as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And this is the season in his life where he learned humility and perseverance and how to listen to God. And it will be a season of time for these people where they will get to experience some of the same thing. Remember, they've been enslaved for two generations, and now they're free, and they have no idea what to do with that. They've been enslaved, and now they're free, and uh, now God is going to shape them into the community that God desires for them to be. So they get to this space at Mount Sinai, and Moses is going to go up on the mountain to talk with God, and God's going to come down to the mountain. That's how they will communicate with one another in a a cloud of, of mystery and thunder and lightning and space where Moses can encounter God and get word for God's people. And so God says to Moses, he wants Moses to tell the people this, tell them, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. A priest is one who uh, offers the word of God to the people, uh, who hears the people, who uh, speaks words of of grace to the people. So these people, God is going to shape them into being a priestly kingdom for God, God's treasured possession Now, I love that um, to imagine conversations that weren't recorded in Scripture, right? Moses, remember, this is Moses who at at, uh, first glance with God says, I can't do it, I can't talk, I don't want to do it. And God says, you're going, right? So Moses is the first one to put up a protest. And so here God says, I want you to tell the people this. And I can imagine Moses saying, "Um, okay, God, but have you seen these people? You want these people to be your treasured possession? I mean, the whole time we've been getting here, they've been tired and hungry and thirsty and cranky and whiny and actually a pain in my neck. You want them to be your treasured possession? And God says to Moses, (laughs) just kidding. That's probably not what God said to Moses. The truth is they've been enslaved and now they've been set free. Now what? They don't know what to do. The truth is, you and I, friends, have been slaves to sin and death and fear, and in Christ we are set free. But now what? Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us today, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So maybe it actually went something like this: the tablet there, the first one is "Thou shalt not do things that are bad," and the second, "Thou shalt be nice to each other." Right? And Moses says, "It's good, I like it, but I know these people; they're gonna want specifics." (laughs) Right? That's that's our story too. Right? it, It would be great if God could just say to us, "Just don't be bad, don't do bad things, and be nice to each other." Right? I mean, I send my kids to play sometimes with that be nice, don't get yourself in trouble, right? But we are a people just like the Israelites, and we needed boundaries. They needed boundaries. They needed uh, some rules uh, to guide their behavior. The Ten Commandments, though, are not just a list of random rules. They, they tell us about who God is, and they tell us about God's vision for how we are to live in relationship with one another and with God. They set the stage for us to actually be a community that is guided by God, that that becomes that that covenant group, that treasured possession, that holy priesthood. When we ignore the Ten Commandments, uh, we know that when we ignore them, it not only causes us pain, but often we cause pain for others. And when we abide by the Ten Commandments, uh, then we know what it means to, to live into that vision of what God wills for humanity, that Vision of being in that whole relationship with God and with one another. The Ten Commandments functioned in this way for the Israelites, helping them know what to do and what not to do, and they function in this way for us. They're not intended to stifle us or to punish us, they're really intended to keep us from harm, from harming ourselves, from harming other people. They're intended to help us live in the freedom that we have to know God and to love God and to love one another. As we walk through them today, you can find them in Exodus 20. I'm not going to read the whole text to you. You can go and read that, but uh, because really we could spend days uh, walking through the, just the Ten Commandments, but we've already lost an hour today, so I'm not going to uh, prolong this, right? But we'll walk through them a little bit. It starts this way, then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So even to set the stage, God says, I am the Lord your God. Remember who I am. As I'm giving you these commandments, remember who I am and remember what I did. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me understanding that the culture in which they'd been enslaved was a culture of multiple gods for multiple reasons. And and the pharaohs had a divine quality to them, and they were worshiped and feared, right? But the different gods meant different things. And here, God, Yahweh, says, I am the Lord your God. Remember that. And remember that I am the one that brought you out of slavery. Do not have any other gods before me, the second one follows right along. You not you shall not make for yourself an idol. Also, as part of their culture, the graven images, um, the little statues, the little the idols that became items and idols of worship for them, depending on what they needed or or what they wanted, worshiping uh, different different gods and different idols. And God says, "You shall not make for yourself an idol." And most of us read that and we're like, "Wait, good, we're golden." We don't do that, except if we think about what it really means to have an idol. A- an idol is anything that has a place of highest importance in our life. An idol is anything that we are willing to sacrifice other things in order to achieve or to appease. It's anything that takes the place of, of God, really. And so I wonder if you think about these questions, uh, Whom or what do we serve? What drives us to do the things that we do? Where do we look for our source of security or for our identity, our soul's purpose? Is there anything that we put in a higher place than God? Maybe maybe not. Maybe, Maybe God is right there for you. Or maybe... When you look at how you spend your time or your resources or your energy, maybe money or power or a certain position in society or achieving a certain level of success or a political ideology or self-interest. Maybe, maybe that's more important to you than God. God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. The name of God is powerful. Remember, that's what God gives to Moses. Moses encounters God in the burning bush, gives gives Moses this assignment. And Moses says, well, who who am I going to tell him sent, sent me to them? And God reveals God's name to Moses. I am Yahweh. I'm the breath of life. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I'm the existence of all existence. That's my name. There is power in that name. And most of us understand pretty clearly that uh, we're not to use God's name as as part of a a swearing or or an oath or in anger or frustration. And so when we hear that or when that slips out, we understand that that's wrong. But I wonder if we are aware of how careless and reckless we are sometimes with God's name. How careless and reckless we are sometimes when when we have an opinion and we then coerce God's name to match our opinion that we then impose on other people. Or when we use God's name uh, to demean other people or to Uh, Help them know that they're different from us. How reckless and careless. Are we even aware sometimes of how reckless and careless we can be with God's name? God's name is holy. God's name is powerful. When we use God's name, perhaps it should be only toward wholeness and healing and life and love. And if we use it in any other way, perhaps we're misusing it. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. This is probably the one commandment that we brag most about breaking. Many of us don't keep this commandment. Many of us, including myself, including Many clergy, including uh, all of us, break this commandment. God created the world in seven days. He worked six days, rested on the seventh day. God sets in motion a rhythm of life, a rhythm of work that includes rest. For our bodies, our minds, our spirits, that ceasing of work is important for us to be renewed, for us to be reminded that God is God, for us to stop striving for the things we think we need and allow God to provide for us. Many of us realize that the world is out of rhythm. We feel it. Our world is a 24-7 kind of world. We we feel that tension and that out out of rhythm. And not only do we feel it, we then contribute to it. We say things like, oh, I'm, I'm too busy to take a day off. I'm too busy to stop working. What will happen if I give up this time? I need to work to provide for my family. I need to work to please my boss. I need to work to do whatever it is. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to come to worship every week. The, the surveys that are done indicate that uh, what we consider regular worship now is uh, like two times a month. And last I checked, there were at least four weekends in a month. So that doesn't really uh, count as regular to me. But I'm not a math genius, so, you know, I don't know. But why do we not come to worship? Because we're too busy, is what we say. If we're too busy to rest, if we're too busy to come to worship, Perhaps we need to go back to the first and second commandments about who God is and the place of God in our lives. God created Sabbath for us as a gift to us. And we tend to not keep it. The first four are really about our relationship with God. And and that sets the stage then for the last six. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Honor those who have gone before us, who've given us life Our biological parents, our adoptive parents, our our fathers and mothers in the faith, realizing that we didn't get where we are on our own. There were people who paved the way for us um, and gave us life. Also remembering that eventually we're going to be those people, right? So honoring the value of the people who have gone before us, our father and our mother. The next one, you shall not murder, it occurs to me today, it's interesting that that follows right after, honor your father and your mother, right? You, and, then, and then let's just make this clear, you shall not murder, right? You shall not take another life. We understand that life is a gift. It's, it's sacred. It's not ours to take. In this culture, in this time, remember they had been enslaved and now they're free. They don't know what to do with each other. They don't know what to do when they get mad at one another or when they're frustrated. And so the thing is, you can't take another person's life just because you get mad. And that's what God, that's what Jesus is going to say. I'm going Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to take this to another level. This really isn't uh, about just the physical life. This is really motivated in, in hate and anger and retribution. This is uh, about vengeance and retribution. And so Jesus says, uh, so we're going to take it back to that heart level. Uh, so it's not enough just not to kill them physically, but, but also uh, I want you to uh, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So not only can you not take their life, but now you're, you need to pray for them. You need to love them. right? Jesus takes that to a whole nother level. You shall not murder. How often do we um, take someone's spirit even if we don't take their life? You shall not commit adultery. The, the marriage uh, covenant is intended to be sacred and holy. It's a a place of intimacy, of knowing and being known. And and when we commit adultery, then we break that covenant. And not only do we do harm to ourselves and to our spouse, but we do harm to those others involved in that and to the community. God intends for us to to honor that relationship, to encounter that intimacy in that relationship. And when we step outside of that, then it's damaging emotionally and spiritually for all who are involved. You shall not steal. This one seems like another no-brainer to us. You know, you're like, well, yeah, of course. I'm not going to break into my neighbor's house and steal their stuff. I'm not going to rob a bank. I'm not going to steal uh, those kinds of things. But, um, but consider what the price is for your integrity. What are there, are there things that you are willing to do if you could get away with them? Right? I mean, I mean what about... Um, your taxes it is a uh, tax season right have you ever not put something on your taxes that should have been on there or or put something in a different way on your taxes if it was going to be beneficial to you or uh filed a claim have you ever filed a, a, an insurance claim that probably wasn't really uh what what needed to be done or uh things that we don't even think about like supplies from the office from your place of work do you ever um just take some of those because they're there and it's convenient and you're not even thinking that it's stealing it you're just using it right the, the price of our integrity is part of what this is about not taking something that's not your own not taking that remember again they don't know how to do this right they, they've been enslaved and now they're free and God says look there's you don't have to take stuff from other people. I, I've provided all that you need. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This was mostly to be used in, in a court of law. When they would bring people in, and if you um, testified falsely against someone else, it could cost them their life, their reputation, their family. It, it does the same uh, to us today, although we have a kind of a different system in place, so hopefully there's more checks and balances along the way. Um, but... But when we, um, and we would, we would say, well, yeah, in court, I would never testify falsely against someone. But what about when you're not in court? How often do we engage in gossip? I mean, sometimes we call it prayer requests. But sometimes it's really just gossip. Or backbiting, or spreading rumors, or um, posting things on Facebook that aren't maybe True. So my mother used to talk about, uh, have you ever uh, squeezed all the toothpaste out of the tube and then tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube? You can't do it. Whatever we say, whatever we post on Facebook, whatever we put anywhere and hit send out into the cyber universe, we cannot take that back. We can apologize, we can make retribution if we need to, but once it's out, we can't take it back. And this may be one of the things that the church is the worst about. The world's watching us, y'all get that, right? They're they're looking to us to see why they should want to be part of the people who follow Christ. Especially if the people who follow Christ, it's not just that we do this to people outside the church, we do it to one another within the church. Don't bear false witness, speak the truth, speak in love, honor one another. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's kind of like he he started a list, right? Your neighbor's house. Oh, I should probably add this. And then finally, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What belongs to your neighbor is your neighbor's. It's not yours. The challenge for us is that we live in a, a culture in which Our economy is driven on trying to make us be discontent with what we have. Our our whole um, advertising and and culture is targeted to help us feel like we don't have what we really need, right? And that the people in the ads and the people that live next to us that have these things must have a better life than we do. And and pretty quickly, uh, what we want moves into what we need, and it all comes out of a desire and a restlessness that isn't from God. And if we find ourselves in that place of of, uh, this coveting or or desiring these other things when, when we already have all that we need, again, it kind of takes us back to that very first commandment, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of slavery Don't go back to slavery by doing these things. I'm the one that gives you freedom. I am the one who satisfies you. Right? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, uh, they're not set up as punishment or to deny us pleasure. They're really to highlight for us the freedom that we have. The freedom that we have and the fullness of life that God gives to us. And the reality is... When we are outside of these commandments, these boundaries that God gives us, we're already back enslaved to self and to fear and to the world and to the culture. When we step outside of these boundaries, we're already enslaved again because we've misplaced who God is and who we are. You might say, yeah, but the Ten Commandments, they're so Old Testament. Aren't we a New Testament people? Well, yes and the covenant god makes with the people and Moses really helps us know what it means to live into the covenant that god sets with us in jesus christ it really helps us understand who we are called to be in first peter we read but you are a chosen race this is written to us not to the israelites this is to us you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation god's own people that should sound familiar Right, That's what, that's what Moses is supposed to tell the people. This is what God says. This is who you are. I've chosen you. You're my treasured possession. You're my people. I'm going to make you a holy priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, but not just so that we can be gathered here and be nice to one another. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we were not a people. Now we are God's people. Once we were slaves to sin and death and fear. Now we are no longer slaves. The Israelites and us. That's that's who we are, human beings. We're we're no different in a lot of ways. We're still ego-driven and motivated by fear. Right? We still live in a fallen world. We live in the consequences and the effects of, of our sin and our separation from God. But God heard the cry of the Israelites and saw their need and delivered them. God hears our cries and sees our need and delivers us. God, rather than using another uh, person like Moses, God comes to us, God's self. In Jesus, God with us, God made flesh. The Word made flesh. God comes directly to us to set us free so that we can be God's people. We can be God's beloved children. We can be the inheritors of God's kingdom. Once we weren't a people, now we're God's people. Friends, that's good news. That is such good news. Jesus' life and death and resurrection sets us free. Not just so that we can be happy where we are, but in order that... Now we get to be the ones who share God's word and mercy and grace with the world that still lives in darkness, and we do that not just by keeping the rules, right? Keeping the commandments doesn't set us free. We keep the commandments because we're already free. Keeping the commandments doesn't set us free. It. We keep the commandments because we've already been set free. God sets us free and places us in this space. For, for generations, the commandments served as an external motivator, right? Uh, these are the things I need to do. And in Jesus, that motivation becomes internal. That covenant, that new covenant is written on our hearts. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill these commandments not in order to set us free, not as a standard to achieve, but as a foundation from which we live in our freedom. We can keep them because we are free. Our lives, our hearts have been changed. And we live in that freedom. Jesus is going to make it uh, simple for us, though not easy. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest, right? Aren't we like that? What's the one thing that I really have to do? But if I don't have to do anything else, what's the one thing I have to do? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Right? Love God. Love your neighbor. On these two, all the law and all the prophets. The ten commandments were given to them, but there were also 600 other commandments, laws that they were expected to follow. Jesus says, love Love God and love others. Now, this love doesn't change the importance of having law. Right? This doesn't mean that, that we can uh, just do whatever we want. Love doesn't change the value of the law. Love changes us. Changes our hearts. Changes our vision. So we begin to understand that our greatest freedom is living within the bounds that God sets for us. That's what we're set free for once we were a people, we were not a people, and now we are God's people. Once we didn't know what mercy was, and now we have received mercy. Once we were slaves to sin and death and fear. We're no longer slaves. So now what? We love. We love God. We love others. And we understand that in our loving It's where we find our greatest freedom to be the people God has created and called us to be. You've been set free. Will you love? Let us pray. Lord, so often we're blinded by our own uh, ego, our own sin, our own brokenness, and it's hard for us to see the freedom that you give to us because we see it as restrictive when in fact it is the most freeing thing of all, to be able to live fully in your grace, fully in your intention for us. Help us to receive your mercy in such a way that our only response can be to love you and to love others. Show us how to be your chosen people, a holy nation, your, your royal priesthood, to share the good news, the light of your freedom with the world that lives in darkness. Empower us by your spirit to do so. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.